0: Up next, a school board candidate and incumbent, Kelly Jones. As always, the Lawrence Talks podcast is brought to you in part thanks to our partners at the University of Kansas and Douglas County CASA. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and online at lawrencetalks.org. Thank you for listening and enjoy. First, even though you're, you're an incumbent and you've spent the last uh, four years, I believe on the school board, could you begin by, for those who are just coming to this election, or maybe you're just uh, starting to pay attention to this uh, school board election, start by giving our audience a sense of who you are.
1: So, um, I, when people ask me who I am, I always start in this place. Uh, I grew up in a bakery, my, um, family is from a little town in Yankton, South Dakota, and they ran a bakery. My parents had me quite young. Um, My mother was just the age my daughter is now. She was 19 when I was born. Her father was a baker, and my dad, returning from Vietnam, um, became a baker because he needed to support my mother and I. It took a couple of years, but that's sort of the foundation of Um, how they came to be together and where they ended up and landed and then spent their whole career as bakers. So as a young child, I got up at four o'clock in the morning and I went to the bakery and I helped slice bread and get donuts on trays. And I poured a lot of coffee for a lot of farmers and a lot of police officers. There really were cops in the donut shop. Uh, That was true and represented well. Um, And then I would walk to school. I followed this train track to school And after school, I followed the train track back to the bakery and I cleaned it up and started my day um, all over again with a little bit of rest and got up in the morning and and did that work. I did it on the weekends as well. Sunday was our day of rest. My grandmother would say, if you can't make it in six, you can't make it in seven. So Sunday, we we didn't work, Um, but I come from a family of folks that work pretty hard. And additionally, one thing that stands out to me about where I'm from is my parents and grandparents' commitment to their community. So they, we didn't throw anything away. Everything got donated. So one of my jobs at the end of the day, the bakery closed at five, was to go with my mom to drop food off at a residential center. Or we had a couple of places that would come, a couple of shelters that would come in and get whatever we had left over from the day. So nothing got thrown away. And pretty early on, I learned about service. But I also saw the difference between my mom, who didn't have access to education, versus my friend's parents, who did have access to uh, education, both in terms of the quality of education she had as a young woman in a uh, Catholic school, versus my friends, parents who got to go on to college and had more rigorous um, educational experiences and had an entirely different quality of life than than my mom had or than, than my family had. So for me, um, part of my commitment to public education is seeing the difference and the distinction between what happened for those families that had access to education and for those of us that had less in terms of our qualities of life and and what we could do in our day. That's a little bit about who I am and where I'm from. I think other things to know about me. uh, I am a social worker that feeds into my service. That's how my service shows up in my life. I've been a social worker for 25 years in some capacity or another, I've been involved in social services. And like a lot of people in my field, I've been in probably thousands of homes, which is sort of mind boggling. But if you're doing home visits every day, multiple times a day, it adds up pretty quickly. That's influenced my thinking about public education as well and why I'm running and and partly um, fuels why I want to do it again. Um, Maybe not partly, primarily fuels why i care about public education and, and why i want to be sitting at the board table it's a little bit about me unrelated to the school board or those things that motivate me to get to the school board uh, i really i have two daughters i i adore um, and we spend a lot of our time hiking outdoors i'm most happy when i am by myself on a trail for a long time i actually did trail restoration so for me, that's my happy place or where I go to uh, decompress. I think that those are probably the primary things about me. My job, I'm a mom. I come from Bakers.
0: How important do you think it is in terms of perspective that you're someone that has kids part of the system, the public school system?
1: Actually, I actually think it's quite important. I don't think it's imperative that you do, but I do think it's important. You know, if you have that skin in the game. Essentially, like if you are more connected to the community, you understand how the systems work. I know for a lot of board members, they might say, well, you know, if, if, if an issue comes up, they might compare it to their experience as a parent in the district. Uh, I definitely think having roots in the district matters. If you look at school boards across Kansas, you'll find a lot of retirees and a component of that is really about time and having the time to commit to the position. And some of those um, folks that are engaged in serving on the board and, and don't have children in the district, which would be the case for me after the next year. On the plus side, have someone who has both experience with the going through the K-12 system and then also has the time to commit to the job, a little extra time. But I don't think it's—I um, don't think it should be understated. I, I agree with you that it's definitely an advantage. To, or I don't know if you're say, stating that or not, but I certainly agree that it's an advantage to have students in the district, and it's something I think voters should consider and weigh when they're making a decision on who to vote for. And I actually don't think there's any policy that's made by a school board or really any public institution, any any public entity that. Everyone doesn't have skin in the game for right. So, I, I mean, personally, you might have more of a, a narrative that's connected to the school board. But when you think back to what I said originally around the work that I did as a as a social worker, going into homes and and helping people around basic needs and crisis interventions. So those community members and their experiences and, and the outcomes for them in terms of making sure that they have the same. Uh, possibilities for high quality of life as anyone else that's that's my business as much as it is anybody else's business to be part of a member of a community that's that's striving to ensure that we are the kind of people that live up to what Lawrence you know professes to be in terms of our progressive ideals I don't one of the, and actually one of the lapses um, in folks not really paying attention to what happens, in school boards and in, in the policies that they make, they, implement, they impact all of us. So if you make a decision, for example, around when what time the school starts, so that impacts not just the child and the family that have to get to school at that time. It also impacts the businesses that those families work for. It impacts, um, it should impact things like transportation schedules. It should impact... Um, how we provide services in our community. Those things should be connected. And in fact, I think policy at the school board level is often seen and and delegated to be just impacting the student or just impacting the teacher when really we should be thinking about it as a a direct line to resolving some of our most imperative challenges as a community. So when you talk about... um, challenges we might have around using equity as an example that's that's everybody's responsibility and those policies that get made at the school board they're not just for parents that's for the whole community and we all have to have buy-in it's it's to me um I first started following public education before I ever had children I mean I could see the um, importance and the connectivity to what happens in our public educations and, and my my life, but also the lives of my neighbors. And that matters to me. I do think that in most cases, when you look at policies that are being made, if you're looking at it through that lens, that this this impacts all of us. And your status as being a parent who has a, a K through 12 child may may still have weight, but not be the only thing which she would weigh.
0: Yeah, no, I I, I agree that it, it yeah, that it definitely should uh, education and those sort of decisions should be seen as sort of being part of this web of of influence.
1: It's real common for me to be out in the community and to hear someone say, well, I don't have any kids in the district, so I haven't been paying attention or um you know, my kids have graduated, so I'm not paying attention, or my child won't be in school for another five years, so I haven't been paying attention. It's heartbreaking to me when I hear that, because we all care what happens to kids, right? We all care about that. But bigger than that, we all should be paying attention to what happens in our public education. Because if there's ever been a time that illustrates its connectivity to nearly everything in our lives, it's the last
0: 20 months. And and so this uh, this next question is kind of kind of specific to you, you as an incumbent. So part of running a campaign, uh, maybe a good part of running a campaign is uh, responding to or maybe educating voters on just what the school board can do and what its limitations are. Uh, so if there's one sort of major misconception that you find always uh, coming up when you're talking to potential voters, what would that misconception be? And how would you, what would you say to address it?
1: So there's a distinction between governance and management. So understanding what is the part of the role of the board is educating around that distinction. So the board is um, governing, not managing, meaning that we're not in the day-to-day administration of a school, that that's if you have something really specific and that might be pertinent to your child, uh, an issue they might be having with a specific teacher or something that's happening within their, their building, that's likely an issue that would be resolved with the principal. Now, sometimes those issues highlight a bigger policy issue or a bigger budgetary consideration or an advocacy issue that they're, they're illustrative. Of of a a bigger issue that is more of in the grounds of governance. In that case, I think it's really important that um, board members hear those individual stories and what what people's experiences are, both in terms of staff and students and their families. The question around like what do we help people understand in terms of the board's role is really making that distinction and, and well defining this is governance and this is this is administration or Dr. Lewis's job without devaluing either. And really, if you are doing good board work, you understand where your power is and you understand how you can create change that will positively impact uh, Dr. Lewis's strategic plan, but that you are, as board members, overseeing, monitoring, providing guidance with the experts in the room who understand education, are those with the PhDs in education or the degrees in education, or um, are the staff members that are spending every day in our buildings, they are the experts of education and we learn from them and are representative of our community, uh, providing oversight, not making decisions related to like every line item in a budget.
0: And, and so this, this next question, you you've, I think you've touched on it uh, a little bit but I think we can kind of go into it a little bit more uh, more here. What do you take to be the purpose of an education and what constitutes as a good education?
1: To me, what constitutes a good education is that you've had the opportunity to realize the potential that you that you have. So you've had access to opportunities and quality experiences that allow you to be, allow you to really let your strengths shine. And that highlight, like, here is where you could go. um, And and here, these doors are open for you. Um, The the first half of that question around the the purpose of education, I'll use an illustration. So um, I mentioned that I have been in a lot of homes. And I've done a lot of different kinds of social work. So I've been in, um, you know, prisons and hospice and hospitals and schools and little nonprofits, all kinds of different arenas. I don't think there's really probably any social service area that I haven't really spent some time in. But what really brought home to me the power of education was when I was working with older adults. So I was working with individuals who had cognitive impairment. And it was like like a joy job for me. I just... Every day that I got to work with a family and a caregiver and an individual with dementia was a day that I learned something about myself. I learned something about problem solving. I learned something about solutions. I learned, um, you know, you talked about philosophy. I learned a little, a little introspection, for cert- certainly, about who I am as a human being. It was really a pleasure, but it also included a lot of suffering. And a lot of struggle, and each person brought a different narrative to that experience. What was painfully clear to me was that if you had access to education, your quality of life at the end of the day was radically different than those who had not. So it meant that you had access to better food. It meant that you had you could correlate it anyway. So maybe not causal, but you could certainly correlate it. It meant that you had access to better health care. It meant that you had access to um, formal supports that others didn't. And there were some amazing informal supports for folks that that had uh, lower educational attainment, but it definitely no, this is no surprise, it correlated to income, right? So as I watched that, but then then what really Solidified it for me. It has a correlation to the progression of the disease. So if you have higher educational attainment, there is some data that suggests that disease, Alzheimer's disease progresses slower because you've created more neural pathways. This to me is um, a physical response, a biological response to brain health. And not to say that there aren't other spaces where you can draw those correlations and maybe you can't say it's causal. And maybe if there's a neurologist sitting here, they would tell you something else entirely. This is what I observed over and over and over and over again. And it was frustrating as hell because I could see that we should be able to provide the same kind of education in the community that I was at 30 minutes away. the one I mean there was because you you do all these drives as a social worker so I might be 30 minutes away from a a income a a community that had higher levels of um, income and then I might be in a community in the other direction where that was not the case and you can see this distinction in the quality of education and here I am sitting with these folks at the end of their their lives a lot of them providing care for their grandchildren or in some cases Um, you know, really having connection to the generation that, that, that um, comes after them, where I could see the same pattern. I mean, I could see that they also were not getting access to the public education that they should. And in my own community in Lawrence, we have the resources and the capacity to avoid that at every turn. And yet we don't. So I think um, the board members in Lawrence, whoever they are, really need to ask themselves in a community so rich with resources, why then is it predictive based on what neighborhood you live in? What your scores might be in math In Lawrence. So I think at the board table, when you show up, you have to be making policies with that kid in mind so that as they age, They have the same access to quality of life, to more, just to more opportunity at every turn that they should have been afforded all along. And that, to me, that experience, watching people at the end of their lives and still, still seeing their K through 12 education have an impact on their daily life. That's pretty powerful. So when you talk back, when you think back to our initial conversation, we were talking about whether or not you have kids in the school or don't have kids in the school, all of us. Should be paying attention to what's happening in our public educations and what those policies look like. And all of us should be paying attention to why we have schools in our district where it's predictive how a kid will do based on the income of their
0: family. What this reminds me of is John Rawls, as a philosopher who has this thought experiment called the veil of ignorance. And what it basically involves is any politician or lawmaker making a decision should think of themselves or go through the process of of deciding by ignoring where they themselves are within a given society or what their status is. In part, that's what that's meant to do is to get them thinking about, well, what if they might be the worse off in a given situation? How would they want that a policy to affect them and if they were in that case? I think it's important to, as, as you mentioned, to think about uh, the least well-off in a community and how a a decision or policy might affect, might affect them.
1: And you have to have, you, you know, you elect, you elect policymakers that can do that well, because it turns out we cannot do that well on our own. (laughs) So as an example, um, and particularly like when you're in the middle of it, so going through this last year with the pandemic, um, and families went through so much, Like if you were a single parent and there was distant learning and you needed to get to work, but you also had this child you had to take care of at home, impacted your ability to earn uh, wages. And even for parents that were, were, you know, in a um, a healthy marriage and had all the resources, it's still burdened. And taxed families and caused stress when they had to convert to providing some higher level of participation in their child's education because they were learning remotely. So, when Dr. Lewis would make administrative decisions to perhaps start with increasing services in our buildings where our students had the highest level of need as it related to income, as an example. It was very difficult for families that came from other schools where they, on paper, have more resources because they were experiencing so many challenges themselves. So it was very hard to put themselves, I observed, not everyone, but I observed that there were more families than I anticipated that really felt like if this school was getting it, we should all get it. So, you know, when you think about that, that idea about equity that we've all been talking about for the last 10 to 15 years, that it's not the same, um, that it's, that equity might equal more resources here and a little bit less here. And you do that because you can, you can monitor the outcomes and see that there isn't a, a, um, as negative an impact, or maybe even not even a negative impact at all for, for, um, the child for whom they come from, uh, the building of which there are more resources based on what we know about the families versus the school that might have 70 to 90% free and reduced lunch kids or kids that come from families p- qualify for that. It just, it wasn't easy for Lorenzians to say, yeah, go ahead and do more over there. It, what, I, what I heard, not all the time, not across the board, but frequently, pretty loudly, was what about my kid's school? So you need a policymaker that can do exactly what you just said, that can say, I'm going to make this policy because I know that it's going to have a positive impact on, on this area over here, and it's not going to negatively impact very highly likely not going to negatively impact over here. That kind of thinking and having the ability to do that is really important because you have to be the kind of policymaker that can do things that might be unpopular.
0: One thing that that your response brings to mind is um, this question that the city commission that uh, sort of is exploring on its uh, in its own sort of capacity is moving to a district based framework. Do you think that given the the sort of some of the disparities that you just mentioned, could the board be better served by exploring something similar?
1: In terms of representation on the board to make sure that you have folks that are from each space. um, You know, that I, I was thinking about that. Actually, because they're in a community our size, I don't know historically how we came to elect board members at large. Uh, in the last twenty years that I've been in Lawrence, I've been following the school board pretty closely, and it has been representative. Interestingly enough, I think of areas, not necessarily of identities. I think that is something we're we're just now starting to see some movement in that is that is at the level that we would we would hope to see in other, um, governing bodies. But I think that, that it's an interesting idea and I don't know, it's it, partly with the school district. The trouble is like how, how you define those districts for the school district. Like do you define it by it's, it's actually something I need to look more into before I, but I have thought about it. Like, do you define it by, uh, like actually the region of the city? Do you define it by where there is school boundaries? I, and I don't know exactly how other. Um, Districts have done it, Fayetteville it, doesn't, just similar size community, also a college town. Uh, and I was actually I was actually just looking at it and talking to a board member from there to see how they how that worked for them.
0: What you take your role to be uh, as a member of the school board beyond your your initial duties.
1: Yeah. So that that what is boardmanship in a way, I think, underlines that question. Um, I. One of the things I think you, you talked about earlier before we started recording is that uh, GR and I are friends. So I am also friends with Melissa Johnson, who I adore, um, and with Paula Smith and Carol and, and Shannon, and really, that the members of the school board, and that's true with the, the former um, board members as well. Erica Hill is somebody I admire um, greatly in terms of the way she leads. So, one thing. I always think voters should consider you're electing a board. So there might be an individual who really speaks to you and to your values, and definitely that person should be included on your ballot. But you want to have folks that are able to work cohesively toward whatever that goal is that you're hoping the district achieves. So if it's a living wage, for example, you'd like to see all staff members making a living wage, to get there, it's, it's not one single board member's ideas about how you get to that end goal. It really is how do, how does the board collectively work together to realize what was identified by the community multiple times as a priority for us. And so for me, I think it's really important to have a focus on relationships, building as a value and to have really clear understandings of what your values are beyond that. So for me, a guiding principle is relationship building Equity is a guiding principle. Humility is a guiding principle. Gui- you know, Gratitude is, is a guiding principle. I have to have those things front and center every time I'm on the board so that when I get triggered or irritated <laughs> or frustrated by someone else's position, that I can always come back to those guiding principles. And it, and it um, helps me focus my work as a collective so that we are modeling the way we hope groups work together. For our students who are watching and for our staff who are watching so that there is a cohesiveness to our operations that that has the effect of creating trust in the board. That I think is a really important part of being on the board And the way that I've articulated that since I since I've served. One of the things I'm really proud of is this quite dull thing I did which was help Shannon Kimball put together a new board manual, 70, 80 pages long. Most of the work in Burden was hers, but I was able to contribute to it in a meaningful way. And that manual sets the standards and the rules that we follow as a a board and that we all agree to adhere to and hold each other to. I think that that's the most important thing um, that you can have in a board member is, is not the person who is the rowdiest or the loudest or the most radical, even though those ideas really, really matter. It's, do you have somebody that can move those ideas forward? And to do that, you need six other people, or at least three to come along with you on that journey. And you need to have a administration that wants to join you. And when that means you have to have a good working relationship with the district leadership. Another committee I serve on is I'm on the um, negotiations committee. That that work is hard. And when I leave here, I'm going to uh, a negotiations meeting where we're not able to give what we want to give because of the current budgetary system. I still have to find a way to acknowledge that the union is right in their ask and find a way to keep working toward that that goal we have together and to to be respectful of and honoring of what they have brought to the district. I have to do that with every board member around me. So it's very important that if Erica Hill and I have a different position on an issue, that when I leave the board room, uh, she knows, and it's very clear to her that I still want to, you know, that I still respect her and I still want to collaborate with her. And we still agree that, our work and mission is to do what's best for
0: kids. So first, I want to say you, you called it uh, a, a dole thing, because to me, what you described basically was a kind of constitutional document of the board. And unfortunately, we've come to refer to it as a manual. And that's, that's unfortunate because it takes away the important to me, it takes away from the importance of, of the document because it sounds it sounds very important. And I don't think the word manual does that sort of document any justice. You mentioned that part of your your role as as a board member is to obviously work with being able to work with the others, being uh, amicable enough with them to build coalitions, to build uh, or to and to move policy forward. Question that kind of uh, comes out of that is how do you simple question how do you do that? So, but I'm ma- mainly concerned is like how do you develop those uh, an argument or a an approach to convincing others that uh, of your position.
1: Yeah. So you know, I mentioned that I've been following board policy for about twenty years, and that is because not just because I'm nerdy enough to do it, but but because that's my training and background is looking at policy and understanding how how do those decisions get made. So when I first got involved in uh, in board decision making the arena that I was looking at was um, opting in and out of sex education, comprehensive sex education. And I was working on a initiative that is a bit more than we have time to talk about, but making sure that everyone had access essentially to comprehensive sex education. Through that process of uh, working with community members, joining uh, coalitions, having Planned Parenthood was in my living room, holding, you know, community meetings while I was you know, nursing this baby and learning, going out and getting people to sign petitions. And then also having conversations with people that made decisions at our district level and showing up at state school board meeting. When you do those exercises, what you are, because that issue mattered to me so much uh, that I was motivated to get out and learn how to do that work. Then once you learn that skill and you see how things work, you start to realize like, oh, this skill fits in this space as well. And oh, if I know how to do to do this, if I understand how um, decisions get made here, I bet that's the same way they get made in this other space. So you spend this time building a skill set that allows you to be pretty effective when you get to the board table. So when I come and sit down at, at the board table and ask this question, how do I get this particular initiative through? It's based on years and years and years of experience doing essential grassroots organizing, but also having now gotten to the point in my career where I'm doing it in other spaces that are more administrative. So you have to know the system to be able to really move anything forward. It does help. The relationship building is very powerful, but you also have to know when to ask the question, where to ask the question, who makes the decisions, understanding who the gatekeepers are that you talked about coalition building, that's not just board members, you have to understand who in the community you need to bring forward. Um, And so serving on committees where there will be people that are represented from different spaces is a good move. So if you, you know, I I sit on the policy committee, and we talk about the board manual, it's my favorite committee, it's me and a a couple board members, and we go through um, and make, you know, grammatical corrections in policy and and move words like may to shell and just minor details that we move around but it has a lot of power and I'll get to that in a minute but that that committee I love because that's that's nitty-gritty work but I also make sure that I show up at other committees where I can build relationships and hear like how how the ideas that I have, like, are they really the right ideas? Have I asked um, teachers, like, what does this look like on the ground? I have this idea, but what does it really play out? And then they tell you and you go, oh, actually, that's not such a great idea. (laughs) So, you really have to be able to listen. So, I have found spaces where I am gathering information and making data-informed decisions, but I I do want to say something about that policy committee. I had this i had I, I spent some time um, working in, in prisons, and it had quite an impact on me and the disparity in outcomes for um, students of color, students with mental health issues, uh, students from low income as it related to, to, to discipline, was one of, one of the issues, not not the on, only issue, but one of the issues that when I first ran for the board, I wanted the opportunity to address. There is this policy that when I sat down at the board table said that administrator needed to make a best effort to alert a parent if a police officer was going to interview them, like a, a best effort that they had to have tried. So I don't know how you define that. You can change that language to say that they are required to contact a parent before, before they're inter- investigated or before a, a, a police officer interviews them. Not, not, as, I mean, there are legal implications there, right? There are moments where the district has no authority the, the, um, to intervene in meaning that the police officer has some imperative reason to interview a child, but for the most part, that's not the case. So what we did in changing that word was give parents more rights, give, and police officers really, when you, in talking to them, wanted better boundaries as well for when the district was reaching out to them, they were not, um, uncomfortable with that change. In fact, it created a space where they were more likely to be called in for things that they should be called in for rather than disciplinary issues. So just changing that word to require had a huge impact. But you have to know all of those pieces, you have to have bothered to have a relationship with people at the administrative level at the teaching level with kids to understand their experiences in our school and then all of the information that I brought to the table just from my experience before I sat down at the board told me that changing that one word could have a pretty powerful impact and that's just one example but coming to the table and getting everybody on the same page is not always easy. Um, but if you understand how the parts move together or 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 not, um, that can certainly help with policymaking in that role. There are other other things that boards do, but that's one. The, you know, the other, the other thing I think is really important um, for board members is knowing how and when to ask a good question. And that skill is not necessarily something that, you know, when you sit down at the table, that might be something you develop over the course of a couple of years of sitting at the board and knowing um, what's the etiqu- etiquette and when can you ask. Um, there is a, uh, and much to probably the annoyance of some of my board colleagues, there is a uh, part of the board meeting that includes board commentary. And I'm more... Typically, we'll use that space to ask for additional information on an issue that I think really needs to be at the board table that might have otherwise been someplace else. And that just helps make sure that we're doing that that job of um, monitoring how how things are are moving along. Dr. Lewis is a really good partner to the board. So luckily, he doesn't usually disparage me too much Mm -hmm. if I ask for um, additional information. And certainly, you want it to be something that's relevant, not just busy work for administrators takes their time away from kids.
0: And so this this next question is actually kind of about a word that I, I uh, when I was reading through some some of the, the five year plan of the, of the school board, this attention to the well-being of staff and students. So, I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So, when we talk about social emotional well being, it is abstract, I suppose. But I think if you asked a person, are you well or not well, they can answer that question and, and, and self define it within a range. So, there are ways in which we can capture that information and do, and we do collect that information from a, di- a couple of different sources. So, we do aggregate data around social emotional well being and look at it in terms of our understanding of how our staff are doing. Some of those, those conversations are certainly. Um, also informal in terms of a, a, a principal's assessment of how their their particular staff is doing or how, you know, what challenges might be emerging for families or students within their building is something that you maybe do not, you know, in terms of you're saying like it could be abstract. I suppose that usually they point to like increases in uh, behavioral Issues. So if behavior is language and you have a large sect of folks having issues or challenges with just being part of a classroom without being disrupted, it's probably a good sign that there's some social emotional considerations there. I have found that for staff, you know, if you ask around your partners there as well, so our union being one of our partners to ask what is what is their assessment of the morale of the folks that were working for us? Um, that also can be a good indicator of of where we're at and whether or not we are meeting what would be considered an acceptable environment or culture in which you work. So I do think there are ways to measure it, and we do um, certainly measure it uh, at both informally and formally. There are a couple different tools that we utilize to look at social emotional health that are I'm pausing because I don't want to be um, I think as a, as a social worker looking at where we're at right now, this is an area where we could do better. And that we need a lot of support. So coming out of the pandemic, not coming out of it, kind of in the middle of it, still managing it, it's pretty clear to me that there are clinical levels of concern really at, at every space of, of where we serve. So whether that be our, our children, whether it be our the who the board serves, the staff, whether it be our, our community in terms of helping get us to a place where we feel like um okay everybody's in a good space in a good headspace to be able to learn to be able to teach to be able to um respond in a way that we want them to to a child mm-hmm. so i definitely think that right now um we need to do more in terms of social emotional support uh for for the whole community and what that looks like is going to vary Based on who it is we're talking about, but it could be, you can probably have a pretty big impact in wages, as an example, for our um, educators, that's not going to change necessarily their um, clinical depression, but it certainly adds to the overall morale and whether or not you want to be in a building. There are are team uh, team building activities that can happen within a classroom and certainly can happen within a a faculty within a building that can add to your joy and want to be in the building and to be participating in it. Um, Most of the educators I talk to, it's really clear to me that children and being in a building, like fill their souls. And I would say that's true for every administrator I've seen interact with with kids as well. But in terms of your own taking care of our own personal and mental health right now, um, if we're saying that it is equal to academic outcomes, so when, which we are now, we are asserting that academic outcomes and social emotional well being are uh, equal footing and important to be addressed then we do have to look at how are we creating those spaces where people are getting access to services if they need them, but also that we're partnering with people in the community that provide those particular services. So, you know, as, as you've mentioned, I'm a social worker and I, I do have some um, mental health background. I'm certainly not a, um, a expert in that area. So if you had a, a diagnosis and needed treatment, I'm not the individual that you would come to see. And I think that's important because we have people in our, our buildings who are brilliant at addressing the immediate need of the child in front of them who might be having a mental health issue. But if it is clinical, if it really is at the at the um, needing an intervention, similar to the school nurse might be able to address a um, scrape on, on the arm. But if your arm is broken, you really need to get to the emergency room. So it's important that we are partnering with those who have experts in, in that area. Um, And as a social worker, I've observed that the school districts really have strong um, expertise and understanding of education. There's still a lot of room to grow as it relates to how we provide um, good social emotional support, even in Lawrence, where we've invested more resources than other districts in that that area. Um, So certainly we want to have good working relationships with places like Burton Ash, but other community partners as well.
0: This next question has to do with developing within students the ability uh, or capacity to think critically, so this, this general topic of critical reasoning. In your experience, do you find this to be a, an issue within public schooling or public education, and if so, what can public schools do better?
1: Listen to teachers to start because I would, I would say that the teachers that I get to talk to, that is a priority for them. And in fact, when one of the first meetings I went to at the library, um, there was a biology teacher from, um, at the time, she was at Free State. I think she's still at Free State, uh, who said to me, um, the content matters, but you're now in an age where they have a lot of access to content. This is four years ago. Now, what she was talking about was analytical skills, so critical thinking and, and application. So, I also teach at the university, and I was having this very conversation before I got. Um, <laughs> this must be a conversation that maybe people that teach have on an ongoing basis because we need it. We need it in terms of um, our, you know, having this collective goal to to ensure that our, our students are uh prepared when they go out into the world to do just that it's it's the most valuable thing you leave with in terms of your education in my in my um estimation or among the most valuable things you leave with so definitely I can understand why you're asking the question and I would say that I see teachers at every level talking about it and thinking through and doing it like brilliantly so it's happening and when they get to us at the university level, when they when students are emerge at our door at the university level and they don't quite have the rigor and they're not quite doing it at the level that we want to do. Then we also have to follow the model of our peers from K through 12 and, and also prioritize it and look to see what's that next level of critical thinking that we can apply within our classroom in terms of our instructional um, uh, approaches. But who is doing it brilliantly, really our, our K through 12 um, teachers. And I know there are some people that are cynical enough to tell you that they're not, but that's just not the way it, it that's not true. Um, and one way that I, we talked about social emotional well-being, and I, this is related. I swear the two things are related. When we were able to go into to buildings, so because of the pandemic, I didn't get to go into buildings very much for the last 20 months. And it's really heartbreaking because it makes the work um, it focuses it because you see the person, the body, and you know, like, okay, this is what I'm doing this work for because you, you're seeing the student engaging. with it. There were a couple of instances where um, I got to go into a classroom and they were doing... Um, circle time, which looked very different. And I'm sure there's a technical term for it. And I um, do not need to disparage any kindergarten teacher because I know there is a different word for it, but they were all sitting in a, in a, in a circle, but that actually, that's the kind of processing they were doing. It was like group facilitation that I would teach a clinical level social worker in a master's program. It was really impressive to me. And they were asking each other these questions that were about social emotional well-being. How are you today? But they were tying it to other things things that they were doing in the classroom, like those, um, you know, uh, whatever standards they happen to be working on that particular, at that particular um, time and moment or wherever they were at in the curriculum. So it's interesting to see um, it prioritized at every level. At the high school levels, absolutely. I see middle and high school teachers thinking about how how do I create a space where the student can be A critical thinker. I completely agree with you that this is a very important issue for us as um, educators, and certainly it's one that I try to get better at every day in my own classroom. And just today in my own classroom, was trying to get better at and spent about an hour with a colleague saying, like, "Oh my gosh, how do I, you know, what what do you do in your classroom, and and how do you ask this question, and what are you know what are the objectives that you have around this particular area? What's your What's the course design that you have? What rubric are you using? And it's all around that particular critical thinking. But where I have fixed some of my own teaching is a, in observing what um, folks are doing at, in in Lawrence Public Schools. So definitely, I think our teachers are have that as a priority as well.
0: And so this final question is just a simple one. Uh, if if there's anything that you would like voters and our listeners to take away from our conversation to today, what would that be?
1: I would I would want listeners to know a couple of things. Um, of the six candidates running, I think Lawrence is in a good position regardless of the three candidates that are elected. And I believe that each of the candidates running has a continued focus and dedication and desire to see Lawrence have and meet the strategic plan goals that you've you've identified and to turn and to continue down the path of creating more equitable educational experiences. I am not worried about the candidates. One thing we didn't really get to that I think is important. So this is a takeaway that I um, not, not to bring up a new issue, but the, the space in which school boards occupy right now in our communities and in our in our state, Um, and nationally is different than it has ever been. You are seeing them politicized more than you would want to see them politicized. You are seeing parties whose um, orthodoxy has always been let local governments rule, now creating diverging ideas about what that means or how they interpret that. And while I was board president, there was legislation around how I ran my meetings Um, and down to like the, you know, when I called them. So there is a change right now uh, as it relates to where school boards occupy space in our community and what their role is. And it's very important that regardless of who is elected, to these positions that we have a community that doesn't allow the divisiveness that we've seen in other spaces to occupy Lawrence, because it will get in the way of Dr. Lewis being able to do his job. My one ask of Lawrence is that it lives up to what it says it is, which is this community that cares about our kids. And that means allowing um, people to come to the board and to protect them from what is a clear attack on, on school boards at the moment. I'm fine, honestly, with whoever ends up at the table and I'll be there to support them. And I am very passionate about making sure that we're doing what's right for kids. And I'll continue to do that in the community in one form or another. I know I'm ready to serve on the board again. Um, and I know that I'm ready to, to help us move forward, but I really, I really believe that Lorenzians need to be mindful of where we are right now, um, and protect our, our school board and our district from the consequences of, um, a changing discourse.
0: With that, Kelly, I want to thank you again for joining me on the show today and and sharing your thoughts about education and your role on the school board.
1: Thank you so much. It's been a delight. Appreciate it.